0: One hurt my feelings. I got one that said, uh, do a verse-by-verse book study of Colossians, which we've already done. So uh, either, I'm going to hope that you were new and that it was not that forgettable. If it was that bad, then you don't want me to do another verse-by-verse book study of Colossians. You can find that on the website, maybe, if it's still there. Um, And then uh, people said, jump into another book. We like that. And then another thing a good number of people said was, give us something on spiritual gifts, what it means to walk in the Spirit, all that kind of stuff. 1 Corinthians pulls both of those things together. As a book, 1 Corinthians talks more about spiritual gifts than any other book in the New Testament. And actually the theme that runs underneath it, it's called a problem letter because Paul, who wrote it, is dealing with a number of issues in this church that he helped start or that he did start. Uh, There's some tension between him and the people in this church that he founded. Uh, they don't actually see him as a very spiritual leader anymore, and so they're really pushing back against him, and the underlying problem is they see themselves as spiritual. these kind of spiritually elite, super spiritual folks, and so Paul, under, the underlying thread through the whole book is, this is what it means to be spiritual. This is what it means to walk in the spirit. So we'll hit that uh, as we go. Um, we're just going to jump right in. First Corinthians 1, we'll walk through about the first half of the first chapter. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Um, one of the things that we talk about here a lot as a church is we call it your, your deal. What has God called you to do? What's his plan for your life, his purpose? What are the good works that he's created for you to do? We just dedicated a baby here, and just like we believe, God formed Troy in Molly's womb, and he knit him together in his mother's womb, just same as he did for all of us. He also created this life for Troy to live. Same for all of us. And those two things fit together hand in glove. And what we want to do is we want to to discover or discern, God, what is it for me? What are these good works that you have prepared in advance for me to do? What is your will for my life? What's my destiny? Whatever little tag, catchphrase you want to use, that's part of what we try to do as a church. We don't just believe, yes, God created you excellent. He also created a life for you. And not only will you be more fulfilled as you live this life that he's created for you to live, you're actually, that's how you contribute to what he's doing in the world. Uh, Paul says, it's by the will of God that I've been called to be an apostle. So Paul's deal is to be an apostle and a a sent one, someone who spreads the good news in places where it hasn't yet been heard. And he says it's by the will of God, and that idea, by the will of God, is important for us. Again, Paul's about to get in these guys' kitchen, on all kinds of issues, and they don't necessarily want to know what he's got to say. They don't respect him at this point, again, because they don't see him as necessarily a very spiritual guy. And for him to wade into that type of a hornet's nest where he's got to, uh, from a distance, help correct them, bring some measure of discipline to what they're doing, and knowing the people he's talking to already have, he's already got two strikes in their book, it's difficult takes a strong degree of confidence, and that confidence is rooted in knowing this is what God has called me to do. This is his will for my life. This isn't just me. It's not just something I came up with. I didn't just choose a major, and now I've wound up in this field. It's not my circumstances. It's not my parents. This is what God called me to do. And if you can begin to develop roots like that, where you are confident in what God has called you to do, I'm not talking necessarily about where you go 9 to 5, I'm talking about God's will for your life, if you can begin to develop strong sense of conviction, this is my deal. These are the good works God has prepared in advance for me to do. Then when things start going sideways, when they get chaotic, when you get frustrated, when you fail, and you will fail, when you get disappointed, when there's loss, when there's hurt, when all confusion, you won't bail. You'll know this is what God has called me to do, and I'm not going to move off of this. We say all the time, Sometimes God wants you to walk past an open door, and sometimes he wants you to kick down a closed one. And the only way to know that is to be convinced of what his will for you is. You want to, we want to, do the process of discovery. God, what is it, if you believe that he's created these things for you, if you don't read Ephesians 2.10, memorize it. You fit under that category these good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do, he has those. He's not trying to hide them from you. It's not 20 questions, see if you can guess. None of that. It's not the magic eight ball where you have to shake and hope you get it right. He desires to communicate to us. We just need to ask. The biggest issue for most of us is we don't truly believe that we can hear the Lord. When I say that, I'm not talking audibly. That's wonderful, but that's not normal for us. We don't hear God through our ears we hear him in our heart. You can, if you're someone who's following Jesus, he very clearly says in John ten ten, you will know. Or excuse me, John ten, you will know my voice. Trust that. Ask him if you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Ask him again, and in time, I think he'll reveal to you what your thing is, and then that's where you want to put some deep roots down. Verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So um, he says the church of this, this church in Corinth is a pretty big city. Uh, archaeologists haven't found any building that they would consider a church that dates earlier than the 300s A.D. So everything prior to that, people met in homes, groups of 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, whatever your home could hold. And the church in Corinth comprised all of these house churches. So there would be a house church at the Hennessy's house, and they would hold 30, and then another one at the Hutchins' house, and then another one at the Wolford's house. And what Paul assumed was this letter that I wrote, it's going to go here, and then here, and then here. Everybody's going to wind up reading and hearing this letter that I'm writing. So he's addressing this church as a whole, even though they probably rarely, if ever, meet together collectively. They're meeting in these small groups. If there's, there's not a building for them To gather in. So that's what he says to church. He says you're sanctified, called to be holy. That means you're set apart for God's purposes. John 17, this will be up on the screen, says this. This is a prayer Jesus prays. The last prayer, one of the last prayers that he prays before he dies. Let me find my place. My prayer is not that you would take them, that's his followers, his disciples, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. There's that word. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that as I set myself apart, that they too may be truly sanctified. So what's going on there, you have Jesus praying for something that Paul says has happened. Jesus says, sanctify the people who are going to follow me. He's praying this prayer. God sanctify them. And Paul says, y'all are sanctified. You've been made holy. You've been set apart for a special purpose. For us, when we talk about kind of doing our deal, God's will for your life, your purpose, whatever, it's out there. God's desire for us is not that we pull off in some little Christian commune and only deal with one another. Not the thing. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. You doing your deal, you fulfilling God's will for your life, that's how you and I contribute to the fulfillment of that great commission, and it's to be fulfilled out there. Almost, I would say, 95% of the people in this room, it's out there. Your thing is not here in this building. If that's what we're looking for from him, to somehow, or if that's how we approach life, pull out, keep me clean, I don't want to necessarily get my hands dirty. I don't want to rub shoulders with people who don't talk like me or a different set of values than me. If that's our mentality, we've missed it. Jesus says that's not going to happen. I didn't, don't pull them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one while they're in the world. That's the promise. I'll protect you. I'll go with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So you can be confident as you move out. We're salt. We're light. And we can be confident in that. Again, you don't want to fall into this trap of kind of Christian commune where that's the only people you deal with or the only way you see yourself interacting. You're missing, I'm missing, a big chunk of what God has for us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Every good thing we get from God is grace. We don't deserve any of it. Peace, wholeness, well-being, welfare. Because of God's grace to us, Peace is the result of that. Because God is gracious to us, we have wholeness, we have well-being, those type of things. Verse 4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end, so you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. So we're not going to get into this. Uh, This is a, it's called a thanksgiving. Paul has them in all his letters. It's the preview of what he's going to talk about. So what he's doing here is he's thanking them for everything he's about to correct in them. So he's either being sarcastic or he's being sincere, one or the other. So he talks to them about spiritual gifts and he's about to get all over them for how they do spiritual gifts. He talks about speaking. He's about to get onto them about tongues. They, They, knowledge, and he gets on to them about knowledge and wisdom. So what he's doing, I think he's being sincere and not sarcastic, and I think the pullout for us is Paul, the Corinthians are a mess in places they are borderline heretical, and he's able, I think, to sincerely say, I thank God for the activity that I see here. It's not perfect, in some places it's not even good, but I can see what God is doing here, and I'm confident that he's going to finish it. Before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul, and he was running in the other direction about as hard and fast as you can. His deal was to be an apostle, that is to spread the good news of Jesus. What he did before his conversion was he arrested and killed people who spread the good news of Jesus. He could not be doing anything uh, more antithetical to what God's calling and purpose was for him. And God rescued him, saved him, redeemed him, and pointed him in the right direction. And I think from that experience, Saul is able to say, if he could get me, he can get anybody. If he can find someone who is running as... He was on his way to arrest Christians when he he got saved. The first time we see him in Acts, Stephen is getting stoned. Everyone who is about to stone Stephen takes off their coat, I guess so they can get their arms loose to throw the rocks, and they're laying their coats... At Paul's feet, which makes it look like, or Saul's feet looks like he's the one who's in charge. That's our picture of him. Then, just a few chapters later, we see him falling off a horse, the light, the voice, all of that, and giving his life to following Jesus. And so, I think because of his personal experience with God and the way God can redeem anyone from anything and get you moving in the right direction, he's able to say to these guys, "Listen, you're a train wreck right now." But I'm thanking God for what I see because I know he can fix it. I know he can redeem it. I know he can grow you. I, this, this is not the final answer. So two things. If you're frustrated with yourself, if there's an area of your life where you constantly are messing up, you're disappointed, whatever that looks like for you, where you're failing, you're disappointed, it's not clicking for you. Point of frustration. What I would say to you, Try to find something in that situation that you can thank God for. It might be difficult. Find something. If you need a magnifying glass, get one. Look for something in that situation that you can begin to thank God for. Find his activity somewhere. There is nowhere where he is not. That's hell. You're not there. So there, there's nowhere where he's not. So find him in the midst of that and begin to thank him for that. It will change your perspective if you can find where God is active, even in your mess, it'll change your perspective on your mess. For some of you, it's not you, it's someone else that you're frustrated with. It's a teenager who you're frustrated with as a parent. Or it's a coworker, friend, somebody, and they keep messing up and you're about tired of walking with them. And you're tired of going over the same ground with them over and over and over and over and over again, and you're ready to wash your hands. And what I would say to you, find something in their mess where you can thank God for. Don't thank him for something else in their life that's good. Find something in their mess where you can thank him. And don't just thank him, tell them, just like he did here. He told them, this is a wreck, and I'm thanking God for what I see. That changes perspective for the people who are messed up. If there's someone in your life who you're walking with, you're connected with, they keep screwing up, find something in, the, in that situation where you can thank God and tell them, I'm thanking God because I see this in here. Chances are they don't. And to hear you find God in their mess, that's a game changer for a lot of people. Verse 10 I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind, and thought. So this idea of divisions, that word literally means uh, tear. A couple of times, once in Matthew, once in uh, Mark, Jesus is given this word picture, and he says, no, you don't take a new patch and sew it on old clothes, because when you wash it, the new patch is going to shrink, and it's going to tear the clothes. That's that word that we see, divisions here. It's the same word. It's going to tear those clothes. In John, that word's used three different times, and every time, uh, it's after Jesus kind of drops one of these verbal grenades that he does to the religious leaders and says, he says something, and they go, they don't know what to do, and they're divided in their opinion about him. Is he the son of God? Is he not? Well, the son of God's not supposed to come from Galilee. He's supposed to come from somewhere else. And they're, they're arguing about Jesus' identity, and that word division that we see there is used. It's created these factions among the folks. They're divided in their opinion about Jesus. And it says, what Paul says, rather than that that tearing apart of your fellowship, rather than being divided in your opinion of Jesus, I want you to be perfectly united. That's knit together. The, the word's actually used, uh, mending of fishing nets. It's the opposite of tearing. I want y'all knitted together. I want you mended as one, that you may be perfectly in mind and thought. I want your opinions about Jesus to be the same. That's what he's saying. I want y'all to be on the same page about who Jesus is. My brothers, some from Chloe's house, Have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Quarrels, that word's often translated, actually, every other time, strife. That's not a word that I think we use very often. Strife is conflict rooted in rivalry or discord. These guys are picking sides, and it's causing these tears in their fellowship. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. We'll talk about him in a few weeks. Another, I follow Cephas. That's another name for Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? The answer is no. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Memories, bad always. No backspacing. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied with its power. That last verse is actually pretty strong. We're going to look at it next week. What we want to look at this week is this whole idea of these divisions in the body. There's some heavy topics that Paul gets into in Corinthians. Things that we would say, that's got to be top three type stuff. He talks about the resurrection, They misunderstand that, spiritual gifts, worship, communion, whether women can speak in church. That's going to be a great Sunday for us, and we can talk about that. I think I'm sick that day, as a matter of fact. So, all kinds of things, whether women should have short hair and guys can have long hair, that'll be another good one for us. Sexual purity, marriage, he gets into all of these things in 1 Corinthians. But before he does, touches any of those topics, he says, you guys are divided. I think to him it's primary. This is fundamental. There are tears in this fellowship. You guys are being spiritual snobs. You're picking teams. I'm on Paul's team, I'm on Peter's team, I'm on Apollos' team. And you might say, well, the guy who's picking Jesus' team, at least he's right. Paul says, that's not right. Jesus, he's not on the same level as these guys. He stands above all of them. You've reduced him to uh, another piece of this argument. Like, he's a party here. He's one of four that you can choose from. It's ridiculous. Y'all are missing it. There are these divisions. You're divided on who you say Jesus is. He doesn't even get into this other stuff. He spends about four chapters talking about this in various ways. More than he gives to anything else. Any of these other problems that many of us would say are more significant. For him, this is a huge deal. The idea of unity in the body of Christ is a huge thing for him. It was big for Jesus too. This is John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. This is from the same prayer that we just looked at. I pray also for those who will believe in in me through their message, so that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. That's a pretty high standard of unity there. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's one of the things that he hangs on unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me again that's some heavy that's some heavy weight to put on Christian unity i want jesus is praying let us be one high standard you and me, just like i'm in you i want them in one another i want them to be one like that because that way everybody will know one that you sent jesus big deal and that you love them big deal John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Both of the parts of that verse, the loving God, the God so loved, and the sent his son, Jesus says unity, Christian unity is one of the things that will uh, confirm both of those pieces. It will confirm your love, it will confirm that you sent me. That's a big deal. There's about 26,000 denominations in the world right now. That's not an exaggeration, that's true. I don't think what God wants is some type of Structural unity. I don't think the, we all need to become Presbyterian or everybody who has a denomination needs to chisel the name off of their sign out front. I don't think that's the deal at all. I think what Jesus prayed for, what Paul is asking for, is a functional or directional unity. Again, this, this fundamental issue. Can we agree on who Jesus is? That's the thing. That's what they were divided over. They were divided over their opinions of Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, y'all need to be perfectly united on who Jesus is. And I think if we can become perfectly united over who Jesus is, not only within this room, but just, let's just take the six churches within two blocks of us. If we can be perfectly united with them on who Jesus is, then we've got something there. That's unity. Let's see that. This is Romans 10.9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's a forty-point font for some of you who are interested in those kind of things. Uh, let's see the next slide. It's a fence. That's what that is. That's a fence. Paul makes a dividing line. You've confessed or you haven't. You believe or you didn't. It's a pretty. It's kind of a black and white thing. We talked last week about kind of the process of salvation, but I said there's there's a clear point where we turn, where we repent, we turn and we start looking in the other direction. That's what that fence is. This is the Apostles' Creed. It was written probably 150 years uh, after the time of Jesus. That's a 20-point font. It took me, I had to reduce it in half to get that. All of this is good stuff. Many of you were raised in church. You probably said this every Sunday. It's all really good, but it's more like this kind of a fence. It's more like that. It's a little higher, a little more difficult to navigate through. Not bad. It's just, it's a little clearer line. Let's see the next. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. No offense to any Presbyterians. That's a five-point font. Same space, you see what we're having to do. It's so much more material. Everything, most everything in there is really good. Just about all of it is really good stuff. It was written in the 1640s by a couple of guys who were just... They're trying to get out there. Here's what everybody needs to believe. Here's what they need to know. It's a little bit more like this. It's a castle with a moat and a crocodile and a drawbridge that comes down, if you know the super secret password. That's what we tend to do. We're good at making fences, fortresses. And that's what happens among us. We don't do it on purpose. The, The reason you believe something is because you think it's right. I don't think any of you believe something you think is wrong. We believe stuff because we think it's right. And then we build fortresses around what we think is right with the best of intentions. And there's some of us who would rather be right than be reconciled to other people. And so we all have a bunch of castles that unless you can run the gauntlet, you can't get in. And what I think Paul and Jesus are saying is, listen, that's fine. Be Presbyterian, be Baptist, be like be non-denominational like us. That's not any better it's not like we're better because we're non-denominational. That's a that's a denomination as well. It is. We all that's that's not the point. It's underneath that. Can you agree? Do you have the same opinion on who Jesus is with the guy next door? With the guy across the street? If the answer is yes, then can there be some functional or directional unity where you're moving in the same direction? general direction. You're going for the same general things. There is a fence. It's who Jesus is. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they're on the wrong side of the fence. They say Jesus is an incarnation of the Archangel Michael. We say Jesus is an incarnation of God. Those are not the same thing. Those are not reconcilable positions. That's a fence. We're on one side, they're on the other. So I'm not saying there aren't any lines. I'm saying I'm not sure that we need fortresses that keep us away from others. Now for many of you, that's not an issue. That's an issue for people like me who kind of lead churches. We're the ones that get in the way most of the time of there being any type of functional directional unity in the body of Christ. So are you off the hook? No. (laughs) This is what I was thinking about. This... I kind of jumped off of that to this whole idea. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to read you something, and then we're going to pray, and I'm going to try to talk for a few minutes about this. I don't feel great necessarily about my ability to communicate this, so uh, we're going to pray. This is my question for you. Is your heart a fortress, or is your heart a spring? You have to choose a fortress or a spring. This is what Jesus says in John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who have believed in him were later to receive. So I'm going to pray for a minute, and then we're going to talk for about two or three minutes about this. God, my prayer, again, I don't feel really great about the communication part of this, so I'm just asking you to speak directly into the hearts of me and everybody in this room. I would say when it comes to our hearts, we're about as blind as bats. Other people can see them a lot more clearly than we can. And so I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to search our hearts and to reveal to us fortress or spring. No guilt, no condemnation, no judgment, just a word of conviction or a word of affirmation. In Jesus' name, amen. So this idea of a fortress, the kind of that castle was what made me think of it. Fortresses protect what's inside. Springs are for others. Springs are for thirsty people. Serve, bless, love people who are thirsty. It's not an extrovert, introvert issue. I'm not asking if you're nice. I'm not asking how many friends you have. I'm not asking if you share the gospel with people. That's that's communicating information. What is your heart posture towards others? Is it one that's closed off? You're the castle, and there's a moat, and there's a dragon, and there's a password. And if you get past the dragon and you know the password and it's the right time of day, I'll let the drawbridge down and you can come in. Or are you a spring? This is what I've got. If you're thirsty, you can come and drink. Uh, the stuff God has freely given to me, the stuff God has freely done in me, you can have it. I don't even know that you're trustworthy, but you can have it. He said freely I've received, and so freely I'm going to give. I think most people are born as springs. You see that in young kids. It doesn't take very long on the playground or the lunchroom to realize you're going to get beat up pretty fast if that's the way you operate. And so we all start building walls. And the thing is, many of us never tear them down again. Some of you, you're married. Your spouse hasn't made it through the gauntlet yet. Your kids haven't. Your parents haven't. Your best friends haven't. You control your heart. Jesus can't even get in there if you don't let him. Revelation three twenty. I'm standing at the door knocking. Will you let me in? You, your heart is yours, and you choose who gets to come in, and you get to choose how far they come in. Is it difficult or is it easy to get access to your heart? If you're spinning, well, that's reckless and all of those things. And I would say you're probably a fortress, and you don't need to hear that again as judgment. It's just something for you to consider. If Jesus said you're a spring, that's what you're supposed to be. There's streams of living water that are supposed to be coming out of your heart. If you've got all that shut up behind all of these walls, you're not living how God created you to live. You're, you're, it's unnatural for you. God has this living water in you that he wants to come out of you to touch and bless other people, and you're damming it up. Not healthy, not good for you, or for anyone else who you're in relationship with. I think if you're if you're a fortress type person, m- most likely it's because you're trying to protect yourself from something. You've been burned, you've been hurt, something like that. You're embarrassed about something, and so you're you don't want anybody to get in because once they get in, you're not sure that you can keep them out of these other areas of your heart. So you just, everybody's out here. And I'm not asking whether you're, it's not about how good a Christian you are. It's not even really how good a friend you are. Are you allowing people in? Are, Are these streams of water coming out of your heart? Let me switch way over here. This may or may not be helpful. I had a friend in college. Y'all are familiar with the list? Every person in youth group had a list. These are the things I'm looking for in a spouse. You Remember that list? So this guy had like 12 Roman numerals. No exaggeration. Roman numeral one, you know, godly. And it wasn't just enough to be godly. He had all these things. Prayer, how she would pray and worship and all this other all these pieces of the puzzle. What kind of church you would like, theology, and then because you can't put it number one because it's not spiritual, number two is something along the lines of appearance. You can't write drop dead gorgeous on your list because it's not godly. You can't write looks good in a bikini because then if somebody else sees that, they're gonna say you're being superficial. So you say things like in good shape or something like that that <laughs> they're codes, you know, and he had all of that stuff. Hair color, eye color, in good shape, and then you move on to activity. And, you know, he had, I think it was 12 Roman numerals. This is what the Bible says you should look for in a spouse. Someone the opposite gender of you, someone who is not related to you by blood, and someone who loves Jesus. That's it. You can't marry your sister or your cousin. If you're a guy, you can't marry a guy, and you need to be equally yoked. Find someone who loves Jesus. That's a spring. This guy was a fortress. I'm keep I, in my mind. I'm thinking if that girl exists, what in the world makes you think she's going to go out with you? It's not going to happen. You don't. You don't meet your own criteria. So the you get that. But we do that to keep people here. If a girl happens to be able to make it through the maze, then we'll see. It's protecting your own heart. It's I don't trust God with my spouse. He might make me marry someone stupid or ugly or boring. And so I've got all these. I have the list here. That's I'm, I'm protect, I don't trust the Lord. And I think that's where we get this fortress mentality. It's not trusting him with our hearts. It's yours. He's asking you to trust him with it. Jesus trusted it with someone who stabbed him in the back. It's going to happen. That's not the issue. It's are you going to live as a fortress or are you going to live as a spring? The things that God has done in you, will you allow other people to benefit from that? Yes or no? When thirsty people, you all have thirsty people who are in your life. They might not know they're thirsty. They are desperately thirsty for living water. Can they get access to that through you or not? Do you keep them in your head and not allow them into your heart? No. Let's pray. Bo, you can come on. God, for any of us, I'm going to switch pictures. and Let's say we're all springs. Some of us have rocks that are keeping the water from flowing to others. God, would you show us what they are? For some, it's one hundred percent legit pain. And the thought of allowing others in, it just it's making them physically sick to think about it. God, my prayers in this in these last four minutes. For those of us who aren't the streams of living water are not running out of our hearts into the lives of those who are thirsty around us. Again, would you bring your gentle and sweet and specific conviction. Would we repent and would you give us the courage to live life as a spring and to stop living it as a fortress. On this broader issue of church, God, I pray that this local congregation, that we would not contribute to any tears in this community that we would be menders and not rippers. If there's anything from me, from the leadership, that needs to change, God, convict us. But that would be our identity in this place. We're for the church with a capital C. If you love Jesus, we love you, and we're moving in the same direction together. And that would be our posture towards the other local congregations in this body, in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to close with one song of worship. We'll have ministry teams up front. If you want prayer, please come. Uh, Otherwise.